Follow la la la. La 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 No! It's not Thanksgiving yet. <laughs> We're done with spooky season, sadly. Uh-huh. Spooky, scary skeletons. Send shuttles down your spine. This is Halloween. <laughs> okay. You know, anyway. For all the Halloween songs that we know. What what is what do we call the first of November? What is what is that called? There's like a day for it, right? No. What All Hallows Day? I, don't I know. Yeah, that's what I'm asking about. Like uh, it's All Saints Day, I think. Okay, it's All Saints. Happy All Saints Day. Yeah. <sighs> Happy All Saints Day. Yeah. to Chronically Narnia, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the chronicles of Narnia chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter four of The Last Battle. This chapter is called, What Happened That Night? With ambiguous punctuation. I am a mole with an egg cup full of wine. How adorable. Also known as Kristen. And this is my co-host. I'm a ghost with a, uh, I know. I've got a, I've got a Narnian look about me. <laughs> How very spooky. Uh-huh. Also known as Chris. If only Halloween wasn't yesterday. Well, we didn't get to do a spooky Halloween episode, so. Well, this I is mean. the closest thing. Yeah, we did skip a week unannounced, yeah, we so. Did. Sorry about that. Our mental health needed it. <laughs> cool yep anyway welcome to the podcast Kristen. did you introduce yourself by name yeah also known as yeah okay chris by the way hey chris hi welcome also be really weird if this was somebody's first episode and they weren't familiar with me yeah it's like book seven episode four some people are bad with names okay yeah be like i've listened to you for a hundred hours and i still don't know your name yep anywho anywho how do we start this podcast? First, we banter. Well, yeah, obviously. Well, let's. I, I feel like we haven't really checked banter off the list. Okay. So, how are, how are things? Good. Cool. See, we have a ZZ plant at work, and this ZZ plant here on the desk, and it always confuses me that this one is not as big as the one at work. Well, this one just refuses to grow. Yeah. Like, hasn't lost a single leaf. Like, they are just healthy. It just will not send up any more stalks or yeah. grow at all. The one at work is just totally delighted right now. It's, like, shot up Yeah, and I'm just in like, the last, like, month. I guess it needs more light, but, like, it's getting light. Like, look. I'm just getting as getting. much light as the one at work yeah. is getting. So, like, why it won't grow, I haven't the slightest idea. Yeah. Maybe you're taking too much care of it because we abandoned the one at work. <laughs> That's my problem with plants. I take too much care of them. Yep. I am not neglectful enough to my plant babies. Anyway. So what do we do when we start this podcast? Well, first we banter. I think we've covered that now. About So glad nonsense. that this plant could spark that joy. Yep. And uh, then we do our summaries. I... Would you like to do your summary first? Sure. 
Do we need to overly explain what the summary section of this podcast is all about? As Chris and I read through the chapter, we will select five sentences out of the chapter and try to summarize the plot of the chapter with the chapter's own words by plucking five random sentences out of it. Go ahead, Chris. Cool. Uh, So mine is as follows. The king was so dizzy from being knocked down that he hardly knew what was happening until the Calarmines untied his wrists and put his arms straight down by his sides and set him with his back against an ash tree. We daren't untie you because Aslan might be angry with us. He had not expected Aslan to look like the stiff thing which stood and said nothing. And then he remembered for he had always been good at history when he was a boy, how those same four children who had helped Caspian had been in Narnia over a thousand years before, and it was then they had done the most remarkable thing of all. And immediately he was plunged into a dream, if it was a dream, more vivid than any he had had in his life. There you go. Cool. I have three of those sentences <laughs> written down. But? But I only chose to use two of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I did write down three of those sentences in my original attempt at summarizing. We got a threefer. Yeah. In the same order. Wow. Um, All right. But I'm going to go ahead and read the ones I actually wrote and Um, chose and selected and such. Yeah. The king was so dizzy from being knocked down that he hardly knew what was happening until the Calarmines untied his wrists and put his arms straight down by by his sides and set him with his back against an ash tree. When it was almost dark, Trinian heard a light pitter-patter of feet and saw some small creatures coming towards him. We daren't untie you because Aslan might be angry with us. He seemed to be standing in a lighted room where seven people sat round a table. You have a Narnian look about you, and we are the seven friends of Narnia. You only had one sentence in common with me. Oh, no. The Wait, king oh, oh, and yes. the Darren oh, Tantayu. Yes. I also right. wrote down he had not expected Aslan to look like yeah. that stiff thing, but chose not to use well, that one. We are mostly on the same page here. Yeah. Cool. Let's talk about this chapter. Not a lot happens. Um, Tyrion is tied to a tree the entire time. Yeah. Um, however, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Anyway, so we start off with Tyrion getting tied to a tree. Yep. Uh. I want to talk a little bit about this because this is the only thing in the chapter that I, you know, well, the the very first page and the last page are things that I think are interesting and everything that happens in the middle there is dumb. Yeah. But let's talk about the first page. When I read the first page here, what jumped immediately into my mind was, you know, this crucifixion metaphor. Okay. Obviously. tree. Obviously. Uh, It's the wrong kind of tree. Yes. Which I thought about. And then was like, no, we wouldn't mix metaphors like that and like Aslan is Jesus and we wouldn't have somebody else be Jesus in the story. And so I thought about what else this could symbolize. And I came up with uh, another idea, which I think is really interesting. And I'm curious if it goes anywhere. So in Norse mythology, uh, Adrasil, the world tree, is an ash tree. Mm-hmm. And in one of the many stories of Odin, uh, in basically the story in which Odin develops all of his power, he hangs himself from an ash tree for nine days. Uh, And he does so uh, for a number of reasons, according to the story. But he's basically sacrificing himself to himself, Mm -hmm. is the idea behind it. 
Um, and there's a parallel there with this is something that Tyrion caused to happen. He turned himself in. Yeah. And so as a direct result of that, he's being tied to the tree. Okay. So he's sacrificing himself. It's tied to the ash tree. And the story in the nine days that Odin is hanging from the tree, he does so in order to basically open his third eye and be able to gain knowledge of other worlds. I feel like now you're mixing mythologies. No. Okay. Well, I'm not, not physically, not like the third eye, like literally, but yeah. uh, he does so in order to gain knowledge of other worlds beyond his own and to gain knowledge of like these magical runes that he uses to increase his own power. Okay. Like what is about to happen where in the end of the chapter. Yes. Where Tyrion is going. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I also think it was interesting that in in this legend, the very first rune that Odin learns is one to offer help in term in times of great strife. Okay. So I think there's there's a lot of parallels here. Yeah. That... Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> we know that Lewis is a fan of mythology in general and is very learned on the subjects of mythologies and fantasies um, and just various different mythoses and different cultures around him. So I don't think that that's a mistake at all. Yeah. I think that's very, I like, I, I really appreciate you bringing that up because mm-hmm. that's definitely a symbolism or a parallel that we can see there. Which would be easy to assume that C.S. Lewis would have intended. Uh-huh. I mean, even if he didn't go, mm, I'm going to write a book and have a like a an Odin Yggdrasil metaphor at the ash tree. Like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, like he probably unconsciously brought some of that in. Yeah. But yeah, there is definitely a symbolism there to yeah. acquiring help via the ash tree mm-hmm. and the torment of being tied to the tree. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if that goes anywhere and we can continue following this Tyrion as Odin metaphor if that, uh, exists. Well, yeah, we can check that out for sure. Cause I mean, I think it's interesting that we've started by talking about his rashness, Tyrion's mm. as a character and that that's part of what brought about this downfall of his. And he has been declared multiple times to be the last King of Narnia so far in the book. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that is, that is also a very common trait of uh, character trait of Odin's in the mythos is that he makes very rash decisions without thinking about them. Yeah. Um, and also he has a magical horse. Yep. So, you know, and Tyrion's got a really good friend named Jewel. Yeah. Not a unicorn, but yeah. So anyway, that's a thing. Um, so he gets tied to the tree and he's not there for a terribly long time, uh, before there's a pitter patter of tiny feet. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's there until sunset. Yeah. Uh, and a bunch of tiny woodland critters come out of the wood in order to tend to him, and they feel really bad about this whole thing. And we have once more some of the confusing description of these critters in the in the shape-changing, size-changing experience that I've had with mice in Narnia. Wouldn't you like to elaborate on that? Okay, so... At first, when they said that he put they put his back against the tree and tied him to the tree, I mentally pictured them putting him back to the tree, butt on the ground, legs out in front of him, mm-hmm. and tied his legs so that he couldn't, like, wiggle out and hop away. Well, I do have a helpful picture. Here yes, that- no, I see that you have a helpful picture. <laughs> I don't have that helpful picture. Also, in that picture, he looks like he's got a giant belly. Um, yeah. 
I know it's just his shirt poofed out, but, yeah. like, it's really kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um, well, also, his arms are, like, disturbingly long. Like, <laughs> he's got some got some weird arms in that. I mean, drawing. if the if the mice can reach to his <laughs> knees, yeah. His yeah. <laughs> fingertips go all the way to his knees. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, but, okay. <laughs> so I had a struggle for a minute when they were like, the mice could reach all the way to his knees because they're larger than our, our mice because they're the Narnians talking mice. And I was like, it's not really hard to reach the knees of a person who's laying on the ground. A normal earth mouse could do that. Uh-huh. Um, but then I figured out, uh, after after finishing the chapter, I figured out that they, they climbed on top of each other because he was standing tied to the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and the mice reached his knees. And I feel like Reepicheep was taller than... Like, I feel like Reepicheep was taller than the knees of a grown man. Well, he was also, like, the, the king mouse or whatever he was. That doesn't he was mean like, that he's bigger. Well, it, I think, doesn't it say that at some point in the story? Like, he was the largest mouse? Because he was, like, the, so. the leader of mice in Narnia. I don't think it said anything about his size reflected being reflective of his position. He gets bigger between books. Like in, in, but the kids didn't note that. It just descriptively, <laughs> he changed size. That's my whole point yeah. here, <laughs> is that the animals are not consistent in size. Uh-huh. Anyway, so yeah, whatever. So, a bunch mice, of animals come up. Mice and moles come up and bring food, wine, and water to clean the face. Not water for him to drink, but wine for him to drink, food for him to eat, and water to wash his face with. Yeah, because, you know, wine hydrates you. It's good yep. for you when you're being it's tortured. Very good for you when you're standing out in the cold all night. <clears throat> well, they also give his knees snuffly animal kisses, so there's that. Oh, that's really important. <laughs> we point that out. Um, anyway, they brought him dinner. They bring him wine and cheese. They make a little tower of mice and moles to yeah. get it all the way up to his face. Yeah. You know, it's it's this, this sweet moment. Um, but they daren't untie him, as we both felt it was important to include in our summaries. Yeah. Uh, I mean, as much as we're, like, I was like, hey, the the cross metaphor doesn't work here. Like, this is a little bit reminiscent of, like, the people caring for Jesus on the cross and, like, coming to attend to him. So, like, this, I don't know. Caring for Jesus on the cross? Well, for people that were... I don't know. Whatever. Oh, anyway. you mean like yeah. the wine? Yeah, yeah. The vinegar. Yeah, yeah. The it's struck me as that kind oh. of metaphor, kind of. I see. Um. Anyway, because they come up and they're just like, "Well, we can't untie you because yeah, that would be wrong." But yeah, here we're gonna we're gonna do something. Right. Why not? Um. Anyway, they would come and bring him uh, oat cakes and fresh butter. Even. Yeah. Doesn't that sound tasty? Cheese yep. and wine. Uh, and then they, uh, then they, they explain to him why they can't untie him. They're just like, you know, we're just the apes and the Calarmines. We would have fought. We would have died for you. But, oh, no, it's Aslan who says this. We can't go against Aslan's orders. Yeah. Uh, obviously he's come back very angry and he's trying to punish us for all our wrong de- wrongdoings. Yeah. Go. In the course of this conversation, you know, they, they, they have the moment of them saying, you know, where Tyrion says something to the extent of, do you think it really is Aslan? And they're like, yeah, we've seen him. Uh-huh. And he goes, do you think it's really Aslan killing the nymphs and selling you as slaves to Kellerman? Well, obviously. And they say, yeah, there is that. That it, it is bad, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 
we uh, we wish it would have been better for us to have been dead before Aslan returned. Yeah, it's pretty dark. It is really dark <sighs> because they know to expect better of Aslan. Yes. And yet, because they think it's Aslan, uh-huh. like... Oh man, it's it sucks. It sucks because it's very much this idea of the the religious structure being abused to take advantage and hurt these people, and they have no tool to defend themselves yeah. because they know that this isn't Aslan, but they know it's Aslan. Oh, well, it's also like a very on the nose antichrist metaphor. Yeah, but like, they have no mm. reason to believe it's not Aslan, but except by his actions yes being not those of aslan and they're powerless to fight against that because of what they believe about aslan yeah i feel like you feel like you're just on the cusp of something that you want to say and you want to dive into this a little bit and it's a personal thing no no we're good you're good it's just it's highlighting the absence of you know like the abuse of this idea that Aslan is not a tame lion uh-huh. to mean that he is capable of breaking his own laws. Yeah. Naturally, would have to be. And I think that that's... That he would come back and show himself in a way that violated the the well-being of creatures he created, like the nymphs. Yeah. And the Narnians, that he would come back and do that, and that people would be willing to believe that about him. Uh-huh. And that's the part that really upsets me, is that these are, these and these Narnian beasts are absolutely 100% willing to submit themselves to an Aslan that would abuse them. Yeah. And that's upsetting. Because it looks vaguely right. It's just, it's so upsetting to me. Not just because of what it symbolizes, but also because, like, I like these characters. I like Uh Narnia. Narnia shouldn't have fallen in this way. Yeah, but also this is, like, very poignant and realistic writing. It's like you, you see that in a lot of church systems today where people are willing to submit themselves to abuse and... yeah what have you because they think that's what god wants yeah and that's so this isn't by any means an exaggeration it's true you're right you're right it's very true anyway continue before we go on that rant yeah it's uh, just heavy man it's really heavy yeah um but the animals take off after giving a dinner and some wine and then he sees something and he sees a glowing red light in the distance and they're building a big old bonfire at the top of the it's hill. It's bonfire night. It is bonfire night. Tonight. It's... Bonfire night is Guy Fawkes Day. Oh, that one. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, people do bonfires tonight, I guess. Sure. No. Um, anyway. It's bonfire night is Guy Fawkes Day. Oh, there we go. That's coming up soon, too. Yeah, that's this week. Yeah. Remember. Remember. <laughs> anyway. Um, so there's this big fire at the top of the hill. And there's a stable behind the fire, and then something comes out of uh, the stable. And there's, there's this whole to-do. Like, this is an elaborate show mm-hmm. the ape is putting on. There's a fire. Everybody's gathered around. He bows three times in front of it, and this thing comes out of the stable. Yep. And the beasts cry out, oh, Aslan, Aslan, Aslan. From where Tyrion is, he can't see it very clearly. 
Uh, or hear very clearly yeah. either. He's but. also never seen a lion before in his life. Which, which is interesting. <laughs> it says that he's never even seen a common lion. Yeah. Which, which is odd. Apparently lions in general are just a very rare thing in, in Narnia. It's like he, he as king has never seen one. So. Yeah. Ain't a lot of them. Odd. Yeah. I thought one would have a place in the court or something, but who knows. Um... Anyway, the, there's this thing that comes out of the stable that looks super uh, stiff, and you know it's certainly large, and it moves in a weird way, but not um, graceful or yeah. any powerful or any of the things that he would associate with Aslan yeah. as he's been described. Yeah, uh, and wanders out of the hut, and Tyrion has a moment of doubt where he's just like, maybe it is Aslan, and then he's like, nah, they're talking. This nonsense about Tash and Aslan being the, thi- uh, the same. Obviously, this is like a whole cheap scam, whatever. Can't be. Um, and then the ape uh, like puts his head up really close to you know the quote-unquote lion's mouth, and then turns and speaks to the crowd, being like, "Oh, obviously, you know, Aslan is speaking through me because that's the way he's operated in the past." Totally. Uh huh. And like, I don't know. And, and nobody calls out dissent here. Nobody's just like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. Aslan's always spoken directly to people when he showed up before. Like, he's never spoken through anybody else. Like, yeah. none of this works. Um, so, whatever group think, people decide to go along with it. Um, and then the uh, fire goes out, and Tyrion's left alone with his thoughts, and he starts to thinking. He does start thinking. About history. Yes, and he mentions his great-grandfather's great-grandfather, Rillian. Yes, so we have some sort of timeline here. Yes, so we so. have had five kings between Rillian and Trinian. Yeah. Trinian? Yeah. Tyrion. Yeah. Tyrion. We have five kings between Rillian and Tyrion. Yeah. And so that gives us a time frame. Yeah. At like at a minimum, it would have been a hundred years if they all died at the age of twenty or whatever. Yeah. Um, so probably closer to like. But it could have been up to three hundred years yeah. if each king ruled for sixty years. Yeah. Between so. them, so we're we're we're. I think it's a safe ballpark to say around two hundred years of worth of time between. Yeah. 2, 250, somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, I mean, Trinian, Tyrion. Uh-huh. I mean, T- I've had no problem saying Tyrion up to this point. Yeah. Tyrion, obviously, is younger. Yes. And we, we've already described him as, like, being young, but not too young. And because he's got his scruffy beard, it hasn't filled out, so he's yeah. not old yet. Well, he's so, older than Caspian. He's he somewhere in his 20s, yeah. is how we've described it. Um, I mean, I'm in my 30s, and I still have a scruffy beard that hasn't filled out yet. But uh. <laughs> so, <sighs> yeah, I would say it's closer to 200 than 250. But anyway, it's kind of still got to figure this all out because Caspian was super old, uh-huh. but Rillian was we don't know how old. So anyway, whatever. And then he had to come back and find somebody to marry and have a kid with. Yeah. So anyway, whatever. Blah 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 blah. All of that said, we have some kind of ballpark estimate for how long it's been since Aslan last presented himself yes. in Narnia. Yeah. That said, in that last encounter with Rillian, uh-huh. did Rillian see Aslan? 
Um, I don't believe so. Caspian did for sure. So really, it would have been like had stories from his pops about like Aslan and whatnot. But yeah, but really, and also disappeared young. Yeah, and so Caspian encountered Aslan on the Lone Islands yeah. and came back. Yeah, I mean, really, and had the direct accounts of like the children that rescued him having met yes. Aslan. So. And so we have proof and consistent evidence of Aslan working through people. But not it's speaking usually, for people, which I feel like is an important distinction. It's like there are people that he uses to accomplish things, but he n- nobody has ever come forth in the stories and been like, yeah, Aslan said to do this. Yeah, but we have lots of evidence of these kids showing up having been the only ones who actually directly encountered Aslan. Yeah. Where there's like a moment where Caspian sees Aslan, but it's the kids that have been talking to him. Yeah. You know, like there there's access given to Aslan, but yeah. it's more that the direct influence. And so I think that's an important part of why Shift is saying, I'm a man. Because yeah. he's trying to be the one of the children. I think that's an important part of why Shift is trying to claim that he's a man. Not just the self-loathing of being an ape and not wanting to be one. Um, I think he's trying to take on a symbolic role of the children there. Well, it could be possible. Um, I mean, when you step back and think about it, like this is like... I don't know, it's something that he's aware of in legends, but, like, it's a really weird legend and mythology. And just, like, trying to translate into, you know, if in our world it was basically historical fact or at least repeated enough that it seemed that way, that, like, every few hundred years or so, like, these young children that claimed to be from another dimension showed up and altered the course of history. Like, that's weird. Like. Yeah. These... <laughs> like angels. Yeah, I guess so. Um, are the kids actually angels? But anyway, he thinks back to all these stories about oh how they helped Caspian way back when, how way before that they came and ended the reign of the White Witch and brought the Golden Age of Nar- to Narnia, which, you know, the Golden Age of Narnia lasted like 25 years. Kind of lame. <laughs> uh, gosh, over a thousand years ago, there was this couple decades that were really, really good, and yep. nobody stopped talking about it ever since. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, a couple thousand years ago, there was these 30 years that this one guy walked on Earth and then he died. And nobody will stop talking about it. You know what? Let's let's move on. (laughs) Um, So he thinks about this and he's just like, well, might as well. I got nothing else going for me. So let's call out to Aslan and see if he can't, you know, send these kids or send something or send help. Yeah. Calls out to Aslan. Doesn't get any answers for it. Uh, then calls out to the children themselves, friends of Narnia, calls and, and is just like immediately plunged into a dream, if it is a dream at all. We have this really interesting moment here that I think kind of sort of reflects, not directly, but to some extent, um, Jill and Eustace, and Eustace introducing Jill to the idea of Aslan, and that like, they can't just command him, but they can request of him. Yeah. And, like, we have this moment where Trinian's kind of... We have this moment where Tyrion's kind of like, Aslan, help me. Help us. Help Narnia. And there's no response. And then he calls out for the children to help instead, which seems... I don't know. It just seems like a weird... He's desperate. He's Parallel, for yeah. It's this, but it's just this interesting thing where it's like, 
Eustace wanted to go to Narnia. He wanted to get out of Experiment House. Uh-huh. And he kind of just did his best to respect everything he knew about Aslan and requesting that. Uh-huh. And Aslan responded by opening the door. Yeah. And it's interesting here where we have Tyrion trying so hard to protect Narnia from this blasphemous, misleading teaching that he knows is not Aslan. Uh-huh. And he calls out for help from Aslan and gets no reply until he calls out for help from the children. Well, he, he asks Aslan to let his voice carry beyond the world. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Sorry. He, then, he does then that. I'll just delete all of that I said. <laughs> but no, he... Ah, okay. Okay. So he does specifically ask... Okay, so then, yeah, it is paralleling the Eustace situation where Eustace does everything he can to respect Aslan and ask for help in a situation, and Aslan responds by opening the door. And we have here Tyrion asking specifically to be heard by the children. Mm-hmm. And he is not heard by them, but the, but he is seen by them, if that makes sense. Yeah. Or they don't, he doesn't actually get to say anything to them. Yep, but he shows up as a ghost, uh, and he shows up in a lighted room with seven people sitting around a table who had just finished a meal. They're dressed in really old clothes. Um, Odd clothes, not old. Yeah, let's talk about who's at the table. Yes, let's talk about who's at the table. <laughs> so, we have two of the people who are very old, an old man with a white beard and an old woman with wise, merry, twinkling eyes. Yep. He who sat at the right hand of the old man was hardly full-grown, certainly younger than Tyrion himself, but his face had already the look of a king and a warrior. And he does stand up later and identify himself as King Peter, High yeah. King of Narnia. Yeah, so we know that that's Peter. This is this is like one of those dumb word puzzles. Yeah. It's like, the one to the right of the old man is younger than the one right across from the old man, but the one across from the He's old man is older three, than the one to the left. He's at least three times the age. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you have to figure out how old all these people are. Yeah. Um... But anyway, so we have Peter. Um, then you have, you could almost say the same of the other youth who sat at the right hand of the old woman. Mm-hmm. So the right hand of the old, I'm trying to draw this out and be like, all right, so here's the old man and at his right hand is Peter. <laughs> and then we had an old woman and at her right hand was another young man. Yes. Who also probably looked like Peter. Yes. So that's probably Edmund, because probably. it's his brother. Probably. Um, facing Tyrion across the table sat a fair-haired girl younger than either of these, and on either side of her, a boy and girl who were younger still. Okay, so the younger boy and girl are probably Jill and Eustace. Yes. And this is probably either Lucy or Susan, but since it says that it's younger than yeah. the other two boys, then that's probably Lucy. Lucy. And that's seven people. Yes. Uh, we're missing somebody here. We're missing somebody. Yep. We're missing, seems to be missing Susan. Seems to be. Yeah. And the, he specifically identifies us as the seven friends of Narnia. Yes. Which kind of like forcefully excludes Susan. Yes. So, wow. Wow. Um, however, we have the old man and the old woman who we can, I guess, assume are Polly and Diggory. Possibly. Have been there. Or, you know, Professor Kirk. Um, but if this is so, this is the, the first time outside of Magician's Nephew we have ever heard anything about Polly yep. being a thing. It is. So, hey, she shows up. We can hope that it's Polly. Yeah. 
and that they're not introducing a new character and or or that susan didn't just somehow radically age all of a sudden (laughs) she suddenly got 30 years older yep um so anyway can assume Polly and diggory and susan isn't there and i was trying to remember what is what is susan's royal title we've brought Um, this up many times we should just know this by now we should we should just know this (laughs) um peter the magnificent edmund the just Lucy the Valiant and Susan I think it's the gentle, but Here, let me look into this really quick. Yeah. Yes. Queen Susan the Gentle. So um so is that significant that Susan is the one missing and you know, gentleness is a quality that's missing from the equation here. Interesting. An interesting question. Um Possibly. We would have to read more of the book, obviously, before we... Yeah. I just thought that might be... There might be something there. Yeah, there might be. We, we I think that that's going to matter more as we get into the book. Yeah. Because we also would then need to assign qualities to Diggory and Polly. Yeah. Um, is Susan... Isn't she also the original holder of the horn? Yes. Yeah, the horn so, was her gift. Yeah. So anyway, Susan's missing and is the one who can call for help, and maybe that's something significant to that. But anyway, we'll read yeah, more into that she, later. Yeah, the horn was her gift. The horn stayed in Narnia, though, like, and has been used multiple times. It's there somewhere. Uh, but anyway, they are sitting around enjoying a meal, and they see a ghost appear. A ghost? They see a ghost appear. A ghost? Uh, and just comes out of nowhere uh, in the middle of this room. And he tries to talk, and he can't speak like he's trying they just can't hear what he's trying to say which i think is interesting because when he talks to aslan and pleads out he says uh if you will not come yourself at least send me the helpers from beyond the world or let me call them let my voice carry beyond the world yeah and his voice doesn't he physically appears but they don't hear him speaking yeah and he can't talk it's it says it's as if it were a dream where you can't yell out in a dream yeah so it's like hey aslan kind of helped but also gave him the opposite of what he wanted yeah so I thought that was interesting. Um, so he shows up, and they get all startled. And uh, which one says it first? Yeah, the king-like one, Peter, stands up immediately and says, uh, Speak if you're not a phantom. You have a Narnian look about you. Yep, which is what I used in my summary. Is that like a clothing style? Like, what's a Narnian look? I mean, like, they <laughs> identified the yeah. boat as Narnian, too, when yeah. it was from a thousand years after they lived yeah. in Narnia. Like... Apparently, fashion and hairstyles just never change in Narnia, and they're about you know, yeah. always the same. Always the same. <laughs> uh, but he has a Narnian look. Peter commands him to speak. Doesn't show up. They're thinking, like, oh, hey, it's a shadow spirit, whatever. Uh, he identifies himself as Peter the High King. And then Tyrion fades, di- away. fades away, disappears, wakes and wakes up. And it was something like the worst dream he'd ever had, or waking was the worst moment he had ever had in his life. Yep. And that waking was about the worst moment he had ever had in his life. I wrote the sentence down. You're lucky you wrote it down. Yep. Anywho, uh, so that's the chapter. Yep, He's... and that's it. It's really nothing happens in this chapter. I mean, he gets helped by He Chris. gets tied to a tree, he eats some cheese, and then he has a weird dream because he ate cheese. He shows up in a universe, another universe. Yeah, because he ate cheese before going to sleep. That's what happens. Um, I mean, also, this is the first instance of, like, somebody from Narnia just appearing in 
our world. Yeah, it's the second so. time that anyone has come over yeah. from Narnia. I, but though technically, Caspian came from Aslan's country to our world, yes. not from Narnia. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, this is the first time that we have had the painting that was of a Narnian ship. Yeah. In Eustace's mom's rooms, wherever that was. Yeah. But yeah, we have this very distinctive kind of moment of this is the first time a person from Narnia has just showed up. And like, was he really there? He's described as very ghost like. Yeah. But also, if someone just appeared in our room, I would assume that they were ghosty if they disappeared a second later. Yeah. Regardless of how solid they had been. But also, what kind of creepy weirdness, like, do the friends of Narnia get up to where, like, this guy appears and, like, Peter's just immediately like, if you're a phantom, speak now. And it's just, like, immediately prepared for, If you're like, not the, a phantom. Yeah. For, like, he's immediately prepared for ghosts to show up. <laughs> like, what kind of... I don't know. What kind of lives do they lead? <laughs> were they like... were they there doing a seance trying to summon <laughs> spirit of C.S. Lewis? Entirely possible. That's, oh, you know, yeah. could be a thing. Um... But yeah, he shows up, and we're going to see if that goes anywhere in the next chapter. We are. Cool. Because we don't have anything happen in this chapter. Yeah. Well, so, there you go. That's the that's the chapter. Yep. So, four chapters in, and we introduce people from Earth. So Four chapters good... in, and we still haven't made an episode over an hour long. <laughs> I mean. Not that, not that we have to. It's yeah. just, it's been pretty consistent that by the fourth chapter, we have stuff to talk about. Well, we had a fun Odin parallel. Yeah. So there's there's a thing there, you know, ghosts. Yeah. All right. Ghosts. Ghosts. Yeah. Shall we move on to our next segment? Absolutely. So our next segment is our rewrites at this point. Uh, as Chris and I are reading through the chapter, not only do we pull out sentences for a summary, we also pull out five sentences and try to write a new story mm-hmm. uh, by pulling sentences out of this chapter and creating nothing, just stitching stuff together. Uh, you read your rewrite, your summary first, so I'll yes. go ahead and read my rewrite first. Go ahead. All right, cool, thanks. The sun went down, and it began to be twilight. They were all dressed in what seemed to Tyrion the oddest kind of clothes. We all saw him. Speak, if you're not a phantom or a dream. That waking was about the worst moment he had ever had in his life. Okay, so I'm just turning it around, and they're appearing as, you know, yeah. the, the friends of Narnia are appearing as ghosts. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. See how it is? We did have we do have a sentence in common here. Mm-hmm. We put it in a very different place, but we have one. All right. Anyway, would you like me to continue with mine? I bet it's going to be we all saw him. Yeah. Cool. Just glancing over my paper. Well, anyway, that, I like that, that was what I was going to say, and then I actually looked at your paper, and I was like, ah, there's only one short one. I yeah. guess it's going to be that. Yeah. I also went with a spooky direction with mine. I mean, it's festive. It's festive and seasonal. Um, so here's my rewrite. We all saw him. Then they bound ropes around his ankles and his knees and his waist and his chest and left him there. It was a bonfire, newly lit, and people were throwing bundles of brushwood onto it. Let me be killed, cried the king. We don't want any other king. Ooh. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. 
So this was, uh, you know, the people of Narnia taking down the monarchy. Yeah. Burning Tyrion alive. Yeah. So. There you go. Spooky. Yeah. Cool. He's a witch. Viva la revolution. <laughs> All right. And let's celebrate Bonfire Night. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. So that's my rewrite. Hang um, on. Hang on. Noisy. Have you brought up your bracket system? No, I've just brought up my tracking from the brackets. Okay. So, shall we go into our last segment? Yes. Uh, what is this one? The Ultimate Conflict. Conflict. I'll keep wanting to call it the Ultimate Showdown because of that old internet video. It's the final countdown. Don't get us sued with your flawless recreation of this song. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, so in this segment that I made up for this book, uh, basically we're doing a bracketed style combat between a bunch of random characters from all across the Narnia universe, and we're dropping them into some random, as well, uh, location for the battle, and we're going to determine who would be the ultimate victor of just a battle royale in Narnia. All right. And for the past uh, couple rounds, we've had uh, a couple of matchups where... I think, who are our victors so far? Lucy and Shasta. Yeah, Lucy and Shasta have moved on to the next round. Um, so we need to create another bracket here. Uh, and for that, we're going to need to do a uh, random number generator from 1 to 24. Kristen, if you have that. All right. 13. 13 is Bree. All right. Bree. Brinny Hoo-Ha-Ha or whatever his name is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then we have to roll again because that number has already been played. Uh huh. All right, number seventeen. Number seventeen is Eustace. All right. All right. So, Brevi Eustace. Um, we're and basically. We need an environment. Yes, we do. So I'm gonna go ahead and roll a D10 for that, unless you have one open already. I've got one open already. Okay, D10. Uh, we've got environment number eight. Uh, the Wiggle Marsh. So, <laughs> all right, the wiggle the, marsh. Yep, the the marsh that all the marsh wiggles live in. Fabulous. With all the distant wigwams and you know eels. Cool. Um, so uh, we're going to invalidate the first episode of, for listeners who might remember the first episode of this book. We did a test run of this segment where we did a uh, Bree versus, versus Mister Beaver. Beaver. That's invalidated because we changed the formatting of the fights. So, this is Brie actually showing up to battle uh, versus Eustace. And I think the most important thing to establish is what era of Eustace this is. Yes, I think that, that that's my first and most <laughs> important question, too. Uh-huh. Um, so, that that's going to determine uh, a lot about... I think this is Eustace while he's a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> well, then Brie just loses immediately. During, during that one chapter. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think Eustace being a dragon is going to be way too OP against basically anybody on this list. So uh -huh. we're going to have Eustace, let's say Eustace most currently, like he's uh, been to Narnia twice, like he's, you know, honed his sword fighting skills a little bit, like he's been in the adventure to rescue Rillian, et cetera, okay. et cetera. So this is Eustace and his full ability and confidence. And we have Bree, who is, of course, a noble warhorse, uh, also very confident in his abilities, much more arrogant than Eustace is. Um, Shocking. I know. I'm amazed. Yep. Um, and they're in the Wiggle Marsh. Uh, 
I mean, I know from we can establish from other media that horses don't necessarily do well in a marsh environment. Hey, but too soon. <laughs> too soon. Too soon. <laughs> I threw that one in there for you. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, we don't really see Bree in the books do any kind of combat or, or anything. Like, we see him, like, running away from... We see him running away from stuff. Uh, yes, but he is a trained war horse. Yeah, he can charge into battle. Yeah, and he's Don't. also present yeah. in the battle at Arkenland's castle. Yes. So. And he was a war horse before his, like, stint in uh, Calarman as well. Yeah. And so we can assume he's been in battles before. He has the experience for it. Eustace hasn't really done that. He's read all the wrong books. Yeah. Like, Eustace, Eustace has stabbed a snake. I think this is the only real instance we have of Eustace, like, actually using a weapon of any kind. Yeah. Do we have anything other than him stabbing the we snake? We have Reba Cheap beating him with the side of his blade. Yeah. So we have that. Uh, I yeah. think we I think we established that Caspian does teach him some sword work after, after he becomes non. Yeah. But he definitely doesn't have the pedigree. Like, like he has Caspian's second favorite sword. He does. Or something like that. So we can assume he's armed. Or was that Edmund? I don't know. One of them did. But either way, he ended up with a sword at some point in the Dawn Treader. Yeah. So we can assume he has a sword at least. Um, but but he's not know. good with horses. We all established that in the last Yeah, one. he's not good with horses. He doesn't. His animal handling skill is like a negative two. Like yeah. he doesn't have that. He doesn't have the war experience. Um you know, Brie outweighs him by a thousand pounds uh, easily. Yeah. So this, this might be the first human versus non-human where the human loses. Yeah. I just, I'm not seeing any real reason that Eustace should be able to win this fight. Yeah. So I'm trying to think of something he has going for him. I mean, we have to include the environment here. Um, yeah. Which uh, Eustace would be better in. Yeah. It's like, obviously the weight would be to his advantage because the heavier you are, the, the worse you're going to do in a swamp. It's sticky, it's muddy, like... Yeah. It is difficult terrain for sure for uh, for Bree. And I think that's the only thing Eustace would have going for him, is if Bree somehow got stuck in the march and wasn't able... Shh. The march. And what? what? I don't want to talk about horses. <laughs> it wasn't able to uh, escape or use his dexterity. But other than that, like, he's... He's a lot bigger, faster, more experienced. Can we just say that Bree wins just so that we can stop talking about horses and marshals? <laughs> Are you really this upset about this? I so am. many years later. I am. <laughs> yes, I am. This is a wound you never recover from. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I say it, unless it's on a fluke, Bree has to win this one. So he would just uh, get one get, get one good cook in on Eustace, and, and Eustace is done. So. We're going to say Brie moves on. Cool. Which, you know, Brie won in the original test episode anyway against uh, Mr. Beaver. So it yeah. just confirms Brie's combat prowess. Yeah. Cool. So we've done that. Exciting. Um, and now we can uh, end the podcast. All right. Cool. For this episode, at least. End the podcast. Yep. <laughs> end, end the podcast. Yeah. All right. 
Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter four of The Last Battle. Join us next week as we discuss chapter five, How Help Came to the King. I wonder what's going to happen then. In the meantime, you can communicate with us on Facebook or Instagram at Chronically Podcast, on Twitter at Chronically Pod, or you can give us money because you feel like it and get nothing back at patreon.com slash chronically podcast. Email us your fan art of uh, no something. No. What? No. I am not going to say email us your fan art of Bree in the Marsh. No, okay? I'm not going to say that. I am not going to say that. <laughs> But you can email us your fan art of Eustace in the Marsh at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. I was going to say a bonfire, but... Or a bonfire. Bonfires are nice. Love bonfires. Yep. Yep. Let's do that. And until next time, always be nice to the woodland critters in case you're tied to a tree and they'll bring you wine in a tiny egg cup. But... Don't eat too much cheese lest you become thirsty. Or have weird dreams about leaving this reality. (laughs) It's happened to the best of us. Bye. Bye. Why is that? Do you want his name to be Trinian? I don't know. I even wrote it as Trinian this time. That says Trinian. Uh-huh. Oh, man. We have this moment where Trinian's kind Yes, so we so. have had five kings between Rillian and Trinian. Yeah. Trinian? No. Tyrion. No. Tyrion. We have five kings between Rillian and Tyrion. Yeah. When it was almost dark, Trinian heard a light pitter-patter. They were all dressed in what seemed to Trinian the... Hello, and welcome to The Sound of My Husband Flipping Pages in His Book. Bantering, Kristen. No, it's not about banter. It's about me being annoyed with page flipping sounds because I know you think they're ambiance and I don't like them. <laughs> okay. Then he's like, nah, they're talking this nonsense about Aslan and Tash being the same. And it was something like the worst dream he'd ever had, or waking was the worst moment he had ever had in his life. Yep. And that waking was about the worst moment he had ever had in his life. I wrote the sentence down. You're lucky you wrote it down. Yep. <laughs>